Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. You know, I'm, I'm realizing something true about life and true about our relationship with Jesus. And that is that sometimes prosperity blinds us of our real needs. Prosperity sometimes just puts a blindfold over our eyes to be able to see what it is that we really need. I have some good friends. They're missionaries in New Zealand. They plant churches there. And in a conversation that he and I were having some time ago, I remember uh, us talking about what makes planting churches in a, in a country like New Zealand difficult. And he said it's, it's prosperity. Prosperity makes planting churches difficult in New Zealand because uh, all the people there don't think they need anything. I wonder if the same thing could be said of the American church. That perhaps prosperity can lead to blindness. I mean, think about it. If you need food, what do you do? You go down to the grocery store, you fill your cart with food, you take it home, and then you try and jam all that new food into the already full refrigerator or pantry that you've already got. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps it is that you have need of clothing. Well, what do you do? Well, you can go down to Walmart or Target. Maybe you can go to the outlet mall and get the latest designs and fashions to, to suit your wardrobe. And then you, you go home and you open up your closet and what do you see? You see a whole bunch of shirts, a whole bunch of pants. you got to try and cram them in there, push the door shut. I wonder if, if perhaps... One of the things that, that could plague anyone, any person who desires faith is just this, this idea that, well, do I really need Jesus? Do I really need what it is that He is offering to me? Because, after all, I've already got all that I need. I wonder what it would look like this morning if the results of our faith were deepened. I wonder what it would look like, what would the results be if all of us could deepen our commitment to Jesus and deepen it to a level that we could all say together, I need Jesus. Uh, what, if, what if we were to raise the bar on our faith at, at, at such a level that we could say honestly to the God of the universe, I can't get there without you. I need you if I am going to get there. What if... What if we did that? What would the results be? 
if we could deepen our commitment like that to Jesus. Now, we have been in this series for a number of weeks. Uh, We have gone through and we have looked in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, these letters from heaven, uh, these letters that Jesus gives to these churches. And and we have noticed throughout these, these seven letters, sometimes he gives us a kick in the pants and sometimes he gives us a pat on the back. Have you noticed that? I mean, sometimes he's challenging us to reach further, to go farther. Sometimes he's asking us, quite frankly, uh, to do something we don't want to do. Sometimes he is afflicting our comfort. And sometimes he's encouraging us and wrapping his arms around us. And this morning, uh, the question that we're asking of of what would the results be if our faith was deepened uh, comes comes and answers, is given, uh, we are given an answer in the city of Laodicea. I mean, the city uh, just walks straight into our lives and, and we begin to understand what, what it would look like if we were to deepen our faith. What the results would be if we were to raise the bar on our commitment level with Jesus. The city of Laodicea uh, they were very self-sufficient. You might say they were prosperous. Uh, at, at a certain point in this city's history, in fact, uh, there was a giant earthquake and, and many of the buildings were just rubble on the ground and Rome came in and they said, hey, how would you, how would you like us to help you? And the people of Laodicea said, we don't need you, Uh, we're fine, we're rich. In fact, it it was a great commercial hub. There was all kinds of money flowing through Laodicea. And they had all kinds of banks, and, and they had all kinds of people with deep pockets, and, and they kind of said, hey, we don't need anybody else, because we have enough money on our own. And they were known for their fine clothes. They, they said, it said of the, the Laodicean people that, that they had a specific kind of wool available there. And only there, it was like... Um, have, have you any, ever, anybody ever seen the uh, Bush's Baked Beans commercials? Okay, three of you have. So there's this Bush's Baked Beans. You can find it at your local grocery store. Uh, the commercial goes something like this. There's this dog, right? And, and there's this top secret recipe. And, and no one's talking, right? And the only person that knows is supposedly this dog, and, uh, of course, at the end of the commercial, he's, he kind of winks like, I'm not talking, right? It was top secret. The people of Laodicea, the, the secret of how they got the wool and how they, they managed to, to uh, breed their flocks was top secret. So top secret, in fact, that, that when Laodicea uh, just became a pile of rubble as a city, nobody ever figured out how they did it. So they had the finest clothes in the world. They had the finest outlet mall that you could have possibly imagined. People came from all over the world to Laodicea because they had the best clothes. They didn't need to be clothed by anybody else. They had it all. They also had the best medicine. Here was this entire city and people... Uh, would come from all over, literally the known world, to Laodicea because they had a special powder that they had discovered. 
And they could, they could mix it together with several other herbs and spices that they'd found in that region, and they could put it on your eyes. So if you had cataracts, you could, you could come and get some salve on your eyes, and it would help. The problem was they were too self-sufficient. The problem was they didn't need Jesus anymore. The problem was uh, they said, so what do we need? We have our riches. We have our clothing. We have our eye salve. And Jesus says, you're, you're naked despite your fine clothes. Uh, Jesus says, hey, you, you are broke and a beggar even though you have all of your banks. And you are blind even though you have all of your special powders, all of your special medicine. He said, your prosperity has blinded you to the fact that you need me. And, and the Laodicean church is challenged to deepen their commitment with Jesus. To raise the bar in their faith. Would you read with me Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and following? If you're following along in the Pew Bible in front of you, go ahead and turn to page 862-63 and uh, follow along with this church in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Self-sufficiency is the perfect recipe for Jesus to get the flu. Self-sufficiency is the perfect recipe for Jesus to get the flu. I mean, this church at Laodicea is arrogant and proud, and they are self-sufficient. Jesus says it himself in verse 17, uh, you say I am rich and have acquired wealth and don't need anything. 
I was reminded this week of, of a, a movie that many of you have watched. I've watched with my children. The very first Cars movie came out several years ago. Lightning McQueen is this new hot rookie on the, on the, the car circuit. And he can go faster than anybody else. I mean, he can run anybody down, and he is going to become the first rookie ever to win the Piston Cup. There's only a few cars standing in his way. If he wins this last race, it's his. He wins. And he's decided that he's not just going to win, he's going to win with fashion, with style in a way that no one will ever forget. And so he decides that he is going to win by a lap or two laps. And so he comes into his pit stall. And his pit crew is there and his crew chief says, you need tires. No, just gas and go. His crew chief quits. His crew quits. And he says arrogantly, I don't need anybody else. This is a one-man show. The church at Laodicea had said to Jesus, Hey, look, Jesus. This is a one-man show. We don't really... Needs you. And notice, notice what Jesus says. If we don't need Jesus, we're useless. If we don't need Jesus, he says, you're ineffective. And there's a result about being ineffective with Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, I know your deeds, verse 15, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know what that word is, spit? It's really the word for vomit. I am going, I'm going to toss my cookies over you. I'm going to vomit you out. Self-sufficiency is the perfect recipe for Jesus to get the flu. And if we stand before Jesus saying, Jesus, I don't, you know, I needed you at one point, but I don't need you anymore. I'm sufficient on my own. I've got this whole life figured out. I've got my wealth and I've got my health and I, I've got my, you know, I've got my relationships. He says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You see, lukewarm water is, is ineffective and inefficient, and it's useless. You see, Laodicea uh, sits in a valley. I've actually stood in that valley in Laodicea. And if you, if you go uh, to one side of Laodicea, up in the mountains, uh, it's, a, it's a place called Hierapolis, Pamkale is a city that stands there now, and you, you can literally look up from uh, the valley in Laodicea, and you can look up, and there are hot springs. 
And I've actually gone up to the hot springs. We, we stayed there one night, and you can go and you can soak in the hot springs still to this day. Uh, uh, many people, in fact, all over Europe still come to Palm Calais uh, because uh, they believe that it has healing powers. Sit in the hot water. If you go below Laodicea, more where the city of ancient Colossae is. There were cold springs. There was cold running water there. And it was helpful. You could drink it. It was a water source for much of the, the valley, but in Laodicea, they had trouble with their water source. The problem was uh, they couldn't get the cold water up, and they couldn't get the hot water down, and so uh, their, their water source uh, was very mineral rich. Has anybody ever been to a camp or to a cabin, and you turn on the faucet, and you smell something? It smells like perhaps an egg that's gone rotten. And it's filled with sulfur. And you stick your cup underneath the faucet and you think, I can't drink this. And Jesus is saying, He's using their own geography and He's saying, this is the spiritual condition that I see in you. Just as your water would make you vomit just as your water is useless for anything in your life, so you are useless to me right now because you have no need for me. And so what he's doing is he's challenging them to deepen their commitment. He's challenging them to raise the bar on their faith and say, hey, hey, don't be useless don't be ineffective. Jesus says very similar things uh, in the Gospels when He says He uses the image of salt. And He says, those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, hey, hey, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not even good for the dung heap. It's no good at all. And it's good only to be tossed and trampled by men. You see, Jesus in no uncertain terms here is saying, hey, for those of you that would say that you no longer need Jesus, that your prosperity has led you uh, to the point that you no longer have a need for Jesus, he says, perhaps you need to think again. Perhaps you need to find a way to deepen your commitment, uh, to raise the bar on your faith, because otherwise you will be found useless by Christ, and quite literally, you will be tossed away. So, so what is it that Jesus would have us do here? Uh, what does it look like for us to begin to deepen our faith in Christ. And what, we're, what we find is that, that people who follow Jesus find ways of relying on Him. People who, 
who follow Jesus, who love Him, who desire commitment to Him, find ways of relying on Him, of needing Him. Notice what he says. He gives us some instruction here. He gives us the remedy. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's saying, and really, uh, all of these images, he's saying, hey, you really do need me. And you need to find ways of your life relying on me. And so as I looked at this, I thought, how are we supposed to rely on God? In this age, in America, uh, when we have so much at our disposal, uh, when we can go to the grocery store and we can, we can have access to clothes and we have access to the best medicine in the world and we're relatively safe where we are in our communities, uh, what is it that we can do to recognize our need for Jesus? Uh, what is it that we can do to say, I will rely on you? Here's a couple of things that I came up with. One of the ways that we can voluntarily rely on Jesus, that we can say, Jesus, I rely on you. I need you. My commitment is with you. I want to raise the level of my faith. I want to deepen my commitment. Is voluntary, voluntarily remove something from our life. Voluntarily remove something from our life. You see, sometimes when we remove something from our life, we make this bold statement to God and to everybody around us like, I am going to rely on God in this. I picked up this book this week. It's a book called 10 Days Without. 10 Days Without. I picked it up, I was flipping through it, and I thought, oh man, this is, this is gold. Listen to this. These are the chapter titles. Now remember, what we need to do is voluntarily remove something from our life uh, that might help us rely on God, rely on Jesus. Listen to this. Ten days without shoes to address disease. Ten days. We're not even talking two full weeks. Would you walk around with no shoes for 10 days to address those in the world that have none? 10 days. 10 days without a coat to address homelessness. And by the way, that's not 10 days in the middle of summer without a coat, right? That's 10 days in the winter. 10 days without media to address distraction. Ooh, that one hurt, didn't it? Some of you are like, no, my, I have my IV phone. <laughs> okay, you got it. That's good. <laughs> Ten days without media. Could you do it? Could you, could you say, I, I'm going to give up all media for ten days. Ten. Not a month. Not two weeks even. Could you do it for ten days? To say, to say, to say, I am going to say to the world, to myself, to my God, I rely on you. I'm going to deepen my commitment by going without. I'm going to voluntarily remove something from my life. Here's the next one. 
This is a tough one. I, I read this and I thought, are you serious? Ten days without furniture to address global poverty. That I would literally sit on the floor of my house. That I would lay on the ground when I go to bed in order to address poverty. Ten days without legs. Like, don't use my legs. To address a response to those with disability. That my understanding of what that's like, and I would say to God, hey, look, I, I can't do this without you. If I'm going to make this commitment, I'm going to remove my, something from my life, then I need you in that situation. Are you guys liking these so far? There's only a couple more. So, yeah, some of you are like, no. No, I don't like these at all. Ten days without waste to address the environment. Ten days without speech to address modern-day slavery. Those who cannot speak for themselves. Ten days without human touch to address orphans, widows, prisoners, and untouchables who don't know human touch. Could we say ten days for anything? I, I will go ten days. Maybe we could say I'll, I'll fast from food. But I will voluntarily remove something from my life as a statement to God to say, I need you. I'm going to deepen my commitment with you. I'm going to raise the bar and my faith is going to get real. How do we do this? One of the ways we can do it is voluntarily remove something from our life. Here's the next one. How is it that we rely on God? Number two is, I will voluntarily step into something that I'm afraid of. I will voluntarily step into something I'm afraid of. I was gone last week. I was at a conference most of the week uh, down in Atlanta, and, and uh, it was fantastic. I got to hear from this guy. His name is Jeremy Courtney. Uh, Jeremy, this amazing story, uh, Jeremy, uh, way back with the first Gulf War, he begins watching things on television, and God begins to do something deep in his life, and he, and he begins to say, I need to address what I'm seeing on television. I need to address the people uh, and the families uh, that are being displaced because of war. And so he does this incredible thing. He takes his family... His normal American middle class family, and he moves them to the Middle East. And he lives there. And now, for the last 15, 16, 17 years, he's been living in the Middle East with his family. He's had his life threatened, he's had people shoot at him. And all he wanted to do was address one family at a time. And as he was being interviewed, uh, the interviewer said something like, well, aren't you scared? And he goes, every day I get up and I'm scared. 
I'm scared all the time. But I'm choosing not to allow fear to be in the driver's seat. He said, maybe it's time for us to stop talking and take a step toward what we fear the most. And perhaps relying on God and deepening our commitment to Him and raising the bar on our faith is really about saying, God, I will step into that area that I fear. And for some of you, that may be having a conversation with someone who is a different color than you are, a different race, a different ethnicity, maybe a different religion. Uh, For some of you, it's going to be not going to the Middle East. It's going to be going to the next door neighbor. Maybe it's going to be sharing your faith with someone at work. Uh, Maybe it's going to be that you have uh, held off for a long time a commitment with a, a leadership position at the church. You said, I don't want to be a leader. I couldn't possibly be a leader. No, I'm not going to do that. You're totally afraid of what that might mean. And you just need to take a big step forward. And even though you fear it, you're saying to God, my faith is going to carry me through what I feel is inadequate in me. And I'm going to take a big step forward and I'm going to serve in a way that absolutely scares me to death. And maybe you're going to begin to go to local uh, community organizations and you're going to be a tutor at the high school or, or, or you're going to find yourself working alongside of the impoverished and you're going to say, I am going to take a step forward into something that scares the wits out of me because Jesus, I am not going to stand here and allow my faith to go dormant. I'm going to deepen my commitment in you. I'm going to raise the bar, and I'm going to say to you and to everybody around me, I am going to rely on you, because that's what people do who follow Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus says this, this beautiful, humble, gentle picture of Jesus. He says, those I, whom I love, I rebuke and dis- discipline. And he says, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's been lots and lots of sermons, I know, preached on this text. It's a gentle picture of Jesus knocking at the door. But the crazy thing, this is not addressed to people that don't know Jesus. This is addressed to people who do know Jesus. This is addressed to people who are the church. And gang, that's us. And Jesus is saying... Will you rely on me? Will you repent? Will you turn from your self-sufficiency? 
Will you turn from thinking that you've got it all together? Will you realize that you do need me? Will you repent? Will you turn around? Will you face me? Will you get down on your face and say, Lord, I need you? There was an old hymn. I was thinking about it as I was singing over here earlier this morning. I need thee every hour. And I thought, you know one of the common heresies that lives practically in church, in the community of the followers of Jesus? It's thinking that there was an event in which I was converted and I came to know Jesus and that my need for him stopped at that moment. And that the rest of my life is all on my own. Gang, can I let you in on something? That is a lie from the pit of hell itself. Every day, every single day as a Christian, you need Jesus. Every single day, that you walk the halls of the high school, every single day that you go to work, every single day that you struggle in your marriage, every single day that you get up and try and be a parent, you need Jesus. I need him. And if I'm not careful, I'll think, oh no, I needed him before, but I don't need him now. You need God's grace every single day, all the time. And so what Jesus is inviting us to is this grand opportunity to repent and say, yeah, God, with all of my heart, I need you desperately. I didn't just need you before, I need you right now. I need you to help me step into places that scare me. I need you to help me to remove something so that I can deepen my faith in who you are. And, and church, can you imagine what it begins to look like when we do that? Can you begin to imagine what it looks like when a, when a, when a church of 200 people begins to say, I am not going to allow anybody and anything to separate me from my desperate need for Jesus and begin to take steps into real life that we show that we do need Jesus? You see, because here's the truth. Here it is. Are you ready? This is so cool. Did you catch it? He says, when you repent, when you open up the door, I'm standing there, I'm knocking, and if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see, when we dine with Jesus, the world gets to sit at Jesus' table. When we dine with Jesus, the world will get to sit at Jesus' table because we are living out our faith. And our commitment level to Him goes from here to here. And we raise that level and we repent and we say, Jesus, we desperately need you. Can you imagine what our community looks like when all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus begin to say, 
I am going to rely on Jesus. I'm going to find something in this world, and I'm going to take steps to make that happen. Can you begin to, to imagine the things that change in our community? Can you see the transformed lives? Uh, can, can you imagine the stories we begin to hear about how Jesus uh, touches somebody else's life? And we say, hey, look, I need Jesus today just as much as I needed him 10 years ago or a year ago or five minutes ago. And they go, yeah, you know what? I think I need Jesus too. Imagine a world where we begin to affect people's lives because we have said, I need Jesus. Gang, let's, let's allow the world to eat at Jesus' table. Let's repent of our self-sufficiency and let's raise the bar and deepen our commitment and rely on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. You are a good God. And Lord, I confess to you, I need you. I can't do this life without you. I can't do this job without you. I can't parent without you. I can't be married without you. I, I can't have friendships without you. I need you. I just can't do it without you. And Lord, I repent. I repent of the times when I get up in the morning and I think I've got it. And that I can give you lip service and go on without a confession of need. Lord, help me to rely on you. Help me to be moved, not just to talk, but to take steps to deepening my faith, to stepping into fear, to removing something. Help me to rely on you. Lord, I pray that for all those in this room, that we would rely on you and say boldly and firmly, I need your grace. I need you. I need you. I need you. Guide us to that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. We're going to sing in a minute. If you're a person, Christian or non, follower of Jesus or not, I, I, I want you Maybe you need to respond physically this morning like, yeah, I need Jesus. And if that's you, then you can come up. That's always open to you. We're going to be here. Uh, we'll hang around in the back. Or if you need to tag one of us, come tag us. And let's talk about what it means to rely on Jesus. Will you stand as we sing?